Welcome to Par in the Confusion. I'm your host tonight, Paul Arnold, and I'm joined by Ernest Watts down in Rockingham, North Carolina. I'm broadcasting from the Par in the Confusion headquarters in Dexter, Michigan. World Ernest, headquarters. World headquarters. World headquarters. headquarters. You, you know, universal headquarters, whatever we want to make it. I have two windows in this headquarters, so that's saying something in this day and age. Ernest, when was the last time you were at any type of headquarters, business or otherwise? Boy, I think I was last week. I was at a business, uh, a management, a property management headquarters in Wilmington, North Carolina. I work with a lot of rental properties and and, and doing policies for them. So, yeah, that's the last time. Mm. So more often than you think, you know, it's, it's like I said. The last time I was at a world headquarters was um, GM has their Rensen Center in downtown Detroit. It's these uh, four glass um, columns surrounding with the center building. And the big news is they're going to tell most of their employees or a lot of their employees to stay home, work from home. Ernest, would you like to work from home 100% or even 80%? I've had the option. I've turned it down. But let's back up a little bit. You know what the Renaissance Center is known for. Part of part of a very famous movie. Are you talking about um, Batman? RoboCop. Oh, RoboCop. They're actually building a statue that looks like RoboCop, about 10 foot tall, but they don't know where they're going to put it. This artist is just making it. Is it, to, is it supposed to look like RoboCop? Oh, yeah. It looks that. exactly it, like RoboCop. Okay. Because there's a crucial scene at the end where he kicks out the head of uh, the corporation he works for. What year was RoboCop? Here we go back for old man trivia. Okay, it was before my oldest son was born, so I'll say 84, 83. Mm. The the first version. There's been a remake with Michael Keaton. But remakes are never as good as the original. No, 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 no. Because the first one was really satire, and it's very subtle satire. But that's a crucial scene. So, like, okay, you got Rocky... In front of the public library. Philadelphia, Philadelphia. What other fictitious characters? What other fictitious? Uh, There's a Superman in uh, Illinois somewhere. There's a Superman statue. And there's a James T. Kirk in uh, whatever the town in Iowa he was born in. I do know that. Hmm. It's a nice trivia question. Fictional character. I'm sure there's a Robin Hood somewhere also. And I'm, I don't know if there's a Sherlock Holmes. But I know those exist. This is very uh, strange. The guy who wrote all the Wizard of Oz books, there's a statue of him in Frank Holland, Baum. Michigan. Frank Baum. Yeah. L. Frank Baum. See, you didn't think I'd know that, even though I hate that movie. <laughs> the Flying Fly Monkeys. All right. Sports. Sports. Flying basketball players okay. versus... Flying monkeys. Yes. Um, so we're down to the Elite Eight. It's been so much fun to watch it, and I enjoy that the games are going one after another, it seems like. Are they doing a shorter time span because they're all in Indianapolis, Ernest? Well, they've changed it a little bit because of the sanitation, COVID, and all that, because usually the the two the Elite Eight games would be on a Saturday-Sunday type of situation. We'll get back to a regular schedule Saturday and and Monday for the final four, but they've had to adapt it because, and a lot of people don't realize uh, the designation, whether a team is able to play is designated enough COVID positive cases by the local health department, not the NCAA. So they've, they've worked that together. It's, it's, it's kind of worked with the schedule, but as much as that's different, I mean, the big thing is three of your, Final eight teams are from the Pac-12, and only one team is east of the Mississippi. That's the team you might be familiar with, the Michigan Michigan. Wolverine. This is strange. I've never – okay, I am 64 years old. I've never remembered an Elite Eight that is so – Without an ACC team. Well, the ACC team, it was 2005. that you don't have an ACC team? But no, no, I mean, no Big East. No SEC. Uh, no, well, you got SEC. You got Arkansas. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, you know, we still think they're in the SEC. Sorry, that's okay. But to be so based in the West, and it's fascinating because I was listening to an interview with Mick Cronin, who's the UCLA coach, and they were asking him why you think the back 
12 been so successful in this tournament. He said, well, you got to realize California's restrictions with COVID were much more severe than the rest of the country. They couldn't practice up until the first week of October. I mean, players could not practice off campus anywhere because you had no gatherings. And he said that put us two or three months together. So right now, USC and UCLA are about at the point where a team would be in January, the beginning of conference season. So that was his rationale for it more than anything else. You mean they're more fresh? More fresh, yeah. And they're just they're just honing together. And UCLA is only the second uh, team from the first four to make it to the Elite Eight. Right. And the games on tonight are Oregon State against Houston, Arkansas versus Baylor. And which leads me to ask you, do you know your tinkle? I'm not trying to get personal, Ernest, but <laughs> do you know, I'm going to ask you some questions about Wayne Tinkle, tinkle Trinkle, I can't even say it. Oregon State coach. Right. And let me, I will give you some questions to see okay. how good you are. Because Ernest knows so much trivia. Lee with your tinkle. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. First question, is Wayne Tinkle older or younger than I am? He's about 55. I'm trying to remember how, you, okay, you were born in 62. So you're six years younger than me, so he is younger than you. You are right in all things. So he was born in 55, born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, played at Montana, that big powerhouse of a basketball Grizzlies! And his listed height is always dangerous without his high tops or anything. How tall do you think he is? Oh, sideline? That's hard to judge because you got all the basketball players right. I'm going to just... Go with a basic six two, six ten, six ten. They say on He's Wikipedia, which the, you can okay. always trust. So He's, is he taller than Howard? How, John Howard six nine, right? Yeah. So he's got to be the tallest coach in Division One. Yeah, he was voted the sexiest man in his conference by a basketball <laughs> by CollegeInsider.com. Actually, it was. 2014 Tinkle was named Sexist Man in College Basketball by CollegeInsider.com. Oh, what year? 2014. Okay, wasn't Lavin at UCLA then? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I know. So the deal with this guy is that he played at Montana from 85 to 89. Then he played in a bunch of different places, sort of uh, off-the-side pro basketball teams. Topeka Sizzlers... Uh, Liger Basket, uh, oh, Sonia Vikings, Tri-City Chinook, Huvia uh, Mossier, Rapid City Thrillers, Onyx. Uh, anyways, you get the point. This guy never made the big time, but he got his break coaching in Montana as assistant. Then the guy left at Montana for a better job. He took Montana to the big dance, and then he got hired by Oregon State, and here he is in the Let lead eight. If he was at Montana, he was probably assistant under Larry Kosoziak. He was. Okay. He left for assistant's yeah, job in the NBA. Did, did I? Did I? Uh, did he go to the NBA when Kosoziak went to the NBA? No, no. So Kosoziak went to the NBA, and Tinkle got hired as head coach. Okay. All right. And listen, if that was one of your questions, I apologize. I just no. I think I'm tinkled out actually. So. Okay, you think about. <laughs> I don't. I better stop here before I make some bad jokes about more bad I, jokes. I about know Tinkle. we're just going to get in trouble there. But uh, uh, Larry Kozoliak, who actually played for the Milwaukee Bucks, did not get a fair shake in the NBA. I didn't think so, but that's neither here nor there. Wow, he's got to be the tallest coach, and it's it's fascinating. We were talking about the Indiana job last week, mm-hmm. and Indiana didn't listen to me, no. and they obviously. They decided to go the Juwan Howard approach and go for Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson, who's known for shaving his eyebrows off once uh, when he was coach of the Knicks. And uh, I just don't see it. I really don't. So now that's – you've got three all-stars. Well, I don't know if Woodson is an all-star, but three big-time NBA players now coaching in NCAA basketball. I just mentioned one. You know the other. You know who the other is, don't you? So who NBA all-star that's coaching a basketball team? 
Yeah, college oh, basketball. Oh, Patrick Ewing. Oh wow, there's four. I forgot. There's one. I forgot about Patrick Ewing. There's another. Jerry oh. Stackhouse down at Vanderbilt. Oh gosh, well you knew that because of North Carolina. Hey, yeah, my, yeah. I think Mike Woodson. He was totally under, totally under my radar because I thought they'd go somewhere younger. And yeah. the other thing I forgot about him is he actually played at Indiana, so he's kept a lot of connections over the years. And yes, you know, Jawan Howard. Is that the latest trend? Like all of a sudden, Jawan Howard does well, and all of a sudden they're going to go for NBA play coaches in the college ranks. I don't think that's a good model long term. Plus, a lot of people don't realize that John Howard was a player coach and was under you know Miami Heat tutelage for a long time. So I don't know. Do you think Mike Woodson's going to make it in Indiana, Ernest? How long do you think he'll make it? Well, the thing is. He was a head coach. Multiple you know, John times. Howard, yeah, John Howard was an unknown element. And, you know, he was under tutelage of Pat Riley. And, and of course, he played under Larry Brown. And, you know, played, was coached with, with Spolster down in the Heat. I, I, I just thought, they're bringing back a Bobby Knight guy and just makes unreal expectations. Now, what helps him is the new associate AD at Indiana, Thad Mata. You know, I wouldn't have mind them hiring Thad Mata before Mike Woodson, but, uh, you know, because I thought Thad Mata got pushed out of Ohio State way too early. He had one bad season. But I, I, I would have gone for someone younger. I so mean, is Thad Mata going to get too involved and Mike Woodson's going to get bent out of shape? Because here you have a former head coach as sort of your indirect boss. Uh, I don't know if that's a good mix. Well, I mean, Mata left because of pressure. It was kind of a mutual agreement. I mean, that's a good resource to have, especially now you got to remember, Mike Woodson has not recruited in college players. He has, you know, he's been away from there since 1982, 1983. And, and you kind of wonder, uh, you, you know, the resource, Howard got some competent assistance. You know, former uh Head coach there, Martelli. Uh, Martelli coming in. They got someone else in also, who was a former head coach. Uh, I just it gave him a five-year contract, but I just think Woodson set up to fail. You've been better off to get someone young, fresh, get a chance. You know, Bobby Knight's not coming through that door to quote. Yeah, but did you see uh, what Bobby Knight put out a tweet through Indiana baseball? I'm a baseball. Excuse me, basketball media outlets he bobby knight said we are all very pleased all of a sudden we all are you notice that indiana is welcoming back bobby knight now we are all very pleased to have mike woodson as the person in charge of our program he will do an excellent job come on bobby knight didn't write this he will be an outstanding disciplinarian and teacher working with his team i've never known a better person than mike he is just a great man Story is Bobby Knight is suffering the beginning stages of some cognitive disorder. So I'm sure this was written for him already. Oh, it has one to of be. The big, yeah, because one of the big pushes they were pushing for this, him coming back, which I think was two years ago when he showed up again, because he had famously stayed away from the campus. But, you know, the game has changed so much. Indiana's clinging to those glory days and – I, you know, there would have been a lot better choices, I would have thought. I wouldn't have got another retread. I wouldn't have got in somebody, you know, Beeline would have been, a lot of people were pushing for him. Again, that's a 50-some-year-old, 60-year-old coach. Someone young, some assistant, someone who's closer to the age of the players. This, this is a reach back to glory up. days. This is what it is. You know, if, if you were going to do this, I'd have got in on a shock of smart. That is a great hire for Marquette. Well, I guess now when I think about it, Jawan Howard was a reach back for Michigan in a way for glory days, and so was Mike Woodson. So I see the comparison better. But Shaka Smart sort of shocked me. <laughs> um, but then again, Texas, is that like one of these dead-end jobs that you want to get to a smaller school like a Marquette? Like, you know, one time Marquette was a lot like Duke and Gonzaga. It was the small school that overachieved. Well, you remember they got to a Final Four when Wade was there. So they, and that's uh, uh, the coach down at uh, Georgia now was the head coach there then. 
Uh, I think the problem with Texas is you're always going to be the second sport. Yeah. Football, football rules. You're, you're never going to be the dominant campus. Now, there's great talent in the state of Texas. Baylor is showing that right now. They're in Texas, you know, a lot of people, you remember the last two teams to play for an NCAA championship was? The last last year, you mean? Or two years ago? No, year, two years ago, yeah. Oh, Ernest, Ernest, too much living has gone on. Help me out. Well, of course, the national champ was Virginia. That's right. That's right. Who they who they beat in overtime? Connecticut, the, Texas Tech. Oh, yeah, I forgot Chris that. Beard. And he's Chris now Beard. the new coach at Texas. He uh, well, about to be. Hire, yeah, probably not a bad hire there. But again, you got to get used to. You're going to be always the secondary thing. You're never going to be the number one sport on campus. Not like Marquette, which plays, I think, FCS football. And even if they have a football team now, I mean, Marquette has a great tradition. Al McGuire, you know, they have a national championship. Uh, and I think Shaka will do a lot better there. You're in an urban area in Milwaukee. There's great talent in, in Wisconsin. I think he'll do well. But that would have been someone Indiana could have gone for and could have got excited about. But did I you mean, see that said, coming, right? though? Was there rumors before Shaka left? I think a lot of people were disappointed how the team finished the season this year. And I think they're in a very competitive conference. I mean, you always got Kansas had one division, had one conference championships, I think 12 years in a row. This is the first year they haven't won the conference regular season. So that's a very competitive conference. He can go there and he can rule the Big East. Plus, again, the talent group. You're not competing against a Baylor, a Houston, a Texas Tech, uh, you know, an Oklahoma. Uh, they're all he's got is the Big East. And, and, again, that's an urban area. I think that's a better fit for Shaka Smart. Mm. So what has been the best game you've seen so far on the March Madness this year? Because, Ernest, if I go back in time and listen to some old podcast, you were not sure we were going to even have March Madness. You were predicting three or four teams being kicked out because of COVID, and there's only been one that I know of, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Well, not Virginia. Um, oh, Lord, I forgot who that was already. It wasn't Virginia. It was the Oregon, whoever Oregon was playing, uh, the second round. Yeah. I have to look that up, but anyways, what's the game you've enjoyed the most? I would have to say Sunday night's game was real good. The the um, Alabama game. Oh, the was Alabama was very game. entertaining. UCLA is for real. Yeah, and they're, they're just timing it. They're just timing it just right. I mean, that's it. The timing is working out real well. And it's, 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 again, I just think that those teams, those particular teams are, are just, for some other reason, they're just organizing themselves at the right time. I mean, it's, it's the competitiveness, everything else. It was VCU. Thank you, Worldwide Web. VCU <laughs> team was eliminated. See, he ended that bugging in my but mind. But still, only one that. team. It's not bad considering. I'm surprised. I am. I'm shocked. I thought I said three teams. I was missing by two. They, you know, we still haven't pulled this off. There's still uh, six more games to go, and I hope at this point. But it, it's kind of like baseball. They were able to pull and football. They were able to pull it off a lot better than they can. We're going to look back at this and all four of the major sports and the two collegiate sports. And we're going to realize this was a minor miracle to pull this off with as little disruption as you can. Now, some stuff's coming out because, like, the Saints got fined and lost a draft pick because they had several players test positive that they did not report to the NFL. Ooh. That's been kind of swept under the rug a little bit. Before but, a playoff game? Uh, regular season. Mm. So, But we're going to go back and look and think, Wow, it's amazing they were able to pull this off. Well, right now, we're almost down to the Final Four. And all along, we've always said guard play is what makes a team go far. And I was really concerned about Michigan without Isaiah Livers. and But I've been really impressed with this little Mike Smith that they got as a transfer from Columbia. And then Eli Brooks 
Uh, and so the big talk around here is before Jawan Howard goes out and recruits anymore, it'd be sweet to have those two experienced guards come back because those two guys handling the ball so well gives me hope that maybe Michigan can make the Final Four or beyond. But Ernest, it's so hard to pick games because people are going to listen to this at so many different times. So let's go right to the end of it all. Are you still sticking with Baylor? Yeah, I'm still sticking with Baylor. They just show maturity. There are two two games I'd really like to see. Uh, I'd like to see Gonzaga and Michigan. I think that would be a great matchup. And I'd like to see the winner of that game face Baylor for the championship. I think those two are the, two of the best outcomes we could have in that respect. But, yeah, I'm still taking Baylor. I mean, the Gonzaga story is a great story. I mean, undefeated team. And there's not many of us remember the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. Obviously, the Indiana fans still think you can do that. But, uh, you know, the amazing thing about that game was that was back before the Final Four became what we know of, this this bright, shiny moment. Yeah, because uh, believe it or not, most people heard about the winning game. It was the first time two conference teams played for the NCAA championship. You know who they defeated in that game? 1976 should be easy for you, Paul. Should I say Ricky Green and make this real easy? Ricky Green is that Michigan? Yeah. Wow. Indiana defeated Michigan for the 1976 championship again. It was the third time they had faced each other because at that time the Big Ten does not have didn't have a conference tournament. The regular season team went into the championship, and this was a team that was. Oh, uh, I remember Hubbard was one of the players on that team. That's right. Right, the team was really motivated. The Indiana team had lost in the Mid East Finals the year before to Kentucky at Rupp Arena, and by one point they thought it was some bad calls. So they were like spurred on all year long, and they had played uh, the Soviet team for the Olympics during the. Uh, during the uh, fall before the regular season started, that's when Bobby Knight threw the chair that everybody remembers across the uh, the the court. But they were motivated. But this is the, the big story about that game. Okay. They won by, I'm going to say, 16, 15 points. Most people knew they had an defeated record or they won the game because that was the same night the Academy Awards and one of the presenters for the best picture was Elliot Gould. Now, a lot of you don't know who Elliot Gould was. <laughs> married to Barbara Streisand, but that doesn't count. Married to Barbara Streisand, mysticioed, uh, had a perm. He was in the movie MASH, known for that more than anything else. Uh, he's making the announcement for the best picture. And he pulls out the envelope and he says, the winner is Indiana 86. Michigan, 79. <laughs> so the score was announced during, because at that time, NBC had just taken over the broadcasts of the um, NCAAs. So that was the, and the same night, and that was the story. And again, people thought that would happen. We've had a bunch of undefeated teams get as far as the national championship. The most famous, of course, was Larry Bird's uh, Indiana State team, and that was three years later, 1979. Uh, they got where they played Michigan State and lost to Magic. So it's happened before. This is not that unusual to have it. But I mean, Gonzaga's a great story. They're a great team to watch. So uh, Baylor by I mean, how many over Gonzaga? Is that what you're saying? It, 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 it'd be less than five. You're saying two number ones are going to make it to the final game, right? Yeah, that's that's hard to believe. Three number ones to the Final Four is even more unusual, because I think Michigan's going to win. I think, Mich- I think you know the Cinderella shoe is going to fall off of uh, UCLA. Uh, UCLA. Boy, and, and they, they just seem to make all the shots, and they don't seem to be have any fear. And they have this one guy um, starts with a G. He has a mustache, dark hair. Uh, Gimenez or something like that. Anyways, he's he just shoots all the time. He's trying to lean in like he's an NBA player. So I'm a little nervous about Michigan. But the nice thing about Michigan is they're so disciplined and they don't give up easily. And I think that's really going to help them. And their defense shut down Florida State, which makes me lead to the next question here. Out of well, the, you're, you're talking about Johnny Juzang. Yes. Who's a transfer from Kentucky. 
No, no. There's another guy I'm thinking about. We'll get to him later. But Javier, Javier, Javier yeah. Javier Javier yes. Okay. So right now you have eight final teams. How many teams are there because they're so good on offense, or how many teams are there because they're so good on defense? Wow. I, well, Baylor's defense is good. Uh, I don't think Gonzaga's that well. I think Michigan's defense is underrated. They have a lot of size. They're top 10 of both offense and defense in the country. Yeah. Houston has a suffocating defense in that respect. Suffoc- I think defense, yeah, Deadly. defense and, and guard play. I mean, you know, other than Dickerson, there's no, and Dickerson and Timmy are probably the only real quality big men left. That'd be a great matchup to see Timmy go against Dickerson. You've got the you know, the sophomore against the freshman, and the styles are so much completely different. That'd be a great matchup. I'd I'd like to see those two match up in that respect. Houston's defense against Baylor's defense, if that's the final four, and again the the Michigan, if it is Michigan and 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 Gonzaga, that'll be the nine o'clock game. Well, uh, so Houston and Baylor play each other. It might be a 12-15 game. I think any team that requires getting points off turnovers or because they're fast and they run faster is is just starting to fade away. You can see Arkansas barely win because they did not have a good side offense. And that's the one thing Michigan really has going for it. They have a really good offensive scheme. They know how to do different things. Uh, and so UCLA, I think, has a lot of good set plays, too. Um, would you put Baylor as a good set offense team, or do they need a lot of turnovers? Uh, they generate a lot of their offense. They shoot the three-pointer. They're one of the better teams shooting three-pointers. I think the, the, the thing that it goes for Michigan, it goes for Baylor, and it goes for Gonzaga, they don't panic when they go through those. In college teams are always going to go through these spells, where they can't score, where they can't run their offense, because you're talking the last eight teams and what will be the last four teams. But of those four teams, I've, I've noticed they don't panic when they go through the dry spells. So many teams, when they can't score, and I, I saw that with Alabama last night. And in Florida State, too. In overtime. In Florida State, too. But much Alabama in overtime against UCLA just panicked and, and got blown away in overtime. And UCLA was able to – I mean, most teams, you get hit by a miracle three-pointer, a half-court three-pointer. You go like, it's not our night. But they didn't back down. There is a bulldog mentality to the UCLA team. And, again, they were in the first four. They weren't supposed to be this far. That's their attitude. USC has so much height and shooting ability. And these two teams, we didn't see a lot. You almost got to bring in Bill Walton to do the color for these games where those two teams play. All right, Just now, so he can talk about the conference my, of This is my time to be the uh, sort of the uh, man around here. So the coach for USC, his name is? Infield. He has the best-looking wife probably of any coach. in. You, don't tournament. you remember? He was at Florida. I uh, do remember. And his wife's a model, and she's this really oh, tall, yes. blonde-haired model. And when she, he made it far in the playoffs or in the March Madness before, they always had a camera on her, and the same thing's going to happen uh, well, they did night. that. Um, Boheim was Boheim's wife about twenty years ago when she was young. They used to zero in on her all the time. They used to do that on um, Mickey Krzyzewski, but she cusses as bad <laughs> as her husband, so that's put like a five second delay in that. Why do they show coaches' wives? I mean, because just, it's drama, man. It's drama. Nobody cares as much about the game outcome than the family, right? Uh, you remember that was, was the issue. They showed Cronin's, Cronin's dad all the time the last game. Well, you remember Creighton's uh, coach's wife like a year ago? She got kicked out of a tournament because she went ballistic, and the cameras cut that also. They don't don't show the kids. Don't show the, the wives. Come on. Don't you got to have a, show, a, a flash to some Cronin's, poor kid crying, somebody jumping Cronin's, like crazy. And, of course, with Oral Cronin's, Roberts, what? they showed 20 people praying <laughs> toward the end of that game. That was so funny. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Baylor's a Baptist school. I the, mean, well, it's <laughs> remotely Baptist now, so. Well, we still claim it, especially when they're playing well. I mean, don't show Mick Cronin's dad. Don't show Drew's dad. How many times do they show his dad? They showed him, like, every other minute. That yeah, game. why? Why? Why is this? I mean, again, that's it's, 
I guess because there's no, you can't do crowd shots, so we're going to do that. And and the cheerleaders are all masked up, so they're not going to show them also. That, that is just a waste of time. Watch the action. Watch the teams. Don't torture the poor old parents and wives and all that. I do sort of like you can hear the coaches more in this March Madness. You can hear the coaches yelling at their players because it's a quieter stadium. And that's sort of fun for me to hear it, like, you know, box out or do this or do that or a special I'm, call. I'm sure the coaches have cognizant that they're being heard and have cleaned up. Have you attended any college basketball I game? know. You keep on saying uh, Coach K is the dirtiest mouth guy short no, of a no, hockey Bobby player Knight, in North Carolina. No, Bobby Knight was pretty bad. Too. All of them curse. All of them do that. I mean, that's just bad. And the players do also. I'm sure that they've done, they've probably like, there's someone with a, Five second delay thing. So what's your the, the mic on the camera? What's your favorite curse word that's not a curse word? Like um, fudge is a famous one, right? <laughs> oh fudge! Uh, oh, they're uh, <laughs> twiddle sticks. <laughs> okay. My dad used to say "dog gone it," and I would laugh. You know, "dog gone it." Well, okay, really? Can you delete? Can you delete this if it pushes the the limits? All right, let me write down the time of our recording. Go ahead. Okay, write down that. There's one from Ghostbusters that I love that Bill Murray uses is his mother pus bucket. <laughs> it's like that hamburger chain. Uh, yeah, and then there's one that I use a lot about, uh, and I'll I'll edit this is blank you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> so I tend to use both of those. It is funny sometimes to hear. You know uh, and, what and they want to say, one. but. Okay, here's another one. You may have to beat this one, so check the time also. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, son of a biscuit maker. Oh, that's not bad. Okay. Yeah, I know where that's going, but yeah. Okay, all right. I won't get you in trouble here. But no, yeah, that's no, we're still point. clean. We don't have to put an explicit comment on this podcast. Okay. Because we right. want to keep our okay. friends at sportscountry.net yes, happy. Yes, yes, yes. Don't want to get them in trouble with the FCC. <laughs> Now, if you listen to some sports podcasts, holy moly, it's swear word after swear word all the time. And it's sort of like, gee, am I listening to Kevin Hart or uh, who am I listening to? Eddie Murphy? Well, there's, Murphy? there's the shock, shock value, and that's more or less for the younger audience. That's to show that you're <laughs> We are definitely not the younger audience. We're so. not. And we're not we're the wise and so. grizzled talking about uh, tinkles. So uh, I'm not wise, <laughs> but we're grizzled. All right, we're going to move on since we don't want to predict all the basketball games because you never know when they're going to listen to this. Um, but this is good basketball time. Uh, let's talk if about... If we predict, it'll show us what little we <coughs> truly know, but go ahead. I don't know. Have you watched any of these CBS uh, headquarters shows? It's, there's a lot of so-called experts. I'm thinking, who is this guy and how did he ever become an expert? And is he just an expert at filling time, you know? It's like oh, it's, it's, I don't watch pregame shows because they're a waste of time because they don't know. And a lot of I, I watch a lot of sports with the volume down, unless it's an announcer that I really like. Now I, I enjoy like the UCLA Alabama game. I like Iron Eagle and I like Jim Spinarkle, even though he's a dookie. Uh, I think they do a quality they did job. A good they job. Do, yeah, they've they've done Nets games for twenty years. How about Kevin Harland? Uh, Harland, you know, his dad used to be the chairman of the Green Bay Packers. That's how he got his start mm. because the Packers are owned by a community trust. Uh, Nance, oh, uh, Tim Brando. Brando. Yeah. He tries to be a little cute sometimes, but yeah, uh, Grant Hill doesn't add anything to no. it. It really doesn't. And uh, who's the guy that does it with Grant Hill? Jim Nansen uh, Rafferty. The uh, Rafferty has become a character of himself. He, he you know, it's just, the kiss. You gotta Onions. hype it up before the commercial break. Thirty years ago, he was a good announcer, but he's he's kind of like Vital. He's become a character of himself. Why do so many people really hate Jim Nance? That's why I wonder about. You say he's too arrogant. No, he's too plastic. He's too fake. He's just he's insincere. He's just he's a plastic man. He really is. He's a I mean, plastic just, man. You're talking about just, his facial surgery, or what is he talking? No, about? it's just what he talks about. He comes off so fake. He has these pre. He has these lines he prepares so much in advance. I mean, I I don't put him anywhere close to uh, Buck or Albert or or uh, 
Al Michaels. He's not even close. To How about class. studio host? Who who's your favorite studio host right now? All sports. Yeah. Well, right now you have Greg Gumbel. You have Ernie Johnson doing Gumbel a lot of it. Well, Ernie Johnson, you know, he's more of a baseball guy. He, he's he's transitioned over to basketball and does a great job. I mean, the idea that you can keep Kenny Smith and Shaq <laughs> and and Barkley uh, happy, wow, Barkley happy, and keep it flowing and keeping it going. And he does a great – he's a great traffic cop in that respect. Um, what's the guy that does college football game day? His name escapes me. The young guy. Uh, oh, my uh, – Reese, Reese. Oh, Reese Davis. Reese Davis does a great job. He he does that for three hours. I mean, he only does it for 15 well, weeks Well, Chris Fowler year. did it before him, and I thought he, Chris Fowler was pretty good. I think Reese Davis does a much better job than Fowler. He really does. I just to me, he does a lot better. Bernie Johnson does a great job. Um, yeah, you know, I think that that's that's the class of it doing that type of stuff. But again, those things add nothing to you. I mean, really, they don't. They've put in the little stories, the cute little story, stories that you find out that Wayne Tinkle played minor league basketball <laughs> and all that. But prediction wise, they did they did a study years ago doing uh, NFL games predictions and the so-called experts the guys on the pregame shows and the guy on the postgame shows their average was under 50 50 percent i mean mm-hmm. there there's average i mean the average fan probably has a higher winning percentage than they do all right there we took a little off-road discussion but we'll come back to the nfl the beast the shield that never ends and we're still in the free agent uh, swapping draft pick time. And Miami and San Francisco did a little swap in earnest. San Francisco and Philadelphia. And, and Philadelphia, Philadelphia, too. They're all swapping, trying to figure out where they want to be. And sometimes you think, gosh, this just can't be all hype. So I'm going to start with San Francisco. I think San Francisco definitely moved up for a reason. I also think that makes Miami look like they're going to stay with Tua. So who is San Francisco going to get with their number three pick? See, Shanahan has finally decided, like I have, that Garoppolo is not the answer. Uh, the story is it's coming down to two guys. It's either um, the Ohio State quarterback Fields? or the Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones. Jones. Fields or Mac Jones. For some reason, Mac Jones has gone up the charts in that same effect for some reason. But that's the story. Uh, they may keep Garoppolo for a year, but he's out of there after this year. He's going to be trade bait. Right now, you got Jacksonville that came out and said, well, we're probably going to take Lawrence. Yeah, if you don't want to be run out of town, you're going to take <laughs> Lawrence. And then uh, the Wilson kids, BYU, is going to go to uh, the Jets. Jets. Goodbye, then, Darnold. I, I, would, I would take Fields – in a heartbeat. I don't under, why are people, I mean, him and Haskins went to the same school. They're not the same player. Why do we associate guys with the, you know, it's the same thing with Trey Lance. Everybody's comparing him to Carson Wentz and he's, he's totally different. Now I would hesitate on taking Trey Lance for the very reason that he's only played one season, one game. Well, let me ask you a question here. He's almost a one and done. Go ahead. So the question comes from Dan Patrick, which I listened to during my walk in the beautiful sunshine today in Michigan. Anyways, they were talking with Chris Sims about, you know, overthinking draft picks. And they said all these uh, pro day workouts with quarterbacks, they're making them do passes like Mahomes passes. And they said, well, Mac Jones is not as athletic as he needs to be. So they said, well, what was Mahomes 40 yard dash time? And do you know, Ernest? He's not that fast. He's more elusive. I'm going to say a 4 8 is pretty fast for a quarterback. 4 8 or 5 2? No, he was 4 8, and Mac Jones was a little bit faster than he was. So, you know, the, the key is elusiveness and are you making the reads right? You know, yeah. that you, you could be like Mahomes and run around like crazy and still make a bad throw. Other people have done that over and over again. The thing about Mahomes is he still makes such awesome decisions and he buys times with his feet. And I think Fields is a gamer. I think Jones may be overrated. Either one is going to need work. It just the question is, 
which one do you think will fit your system better? And I, they were talking that in San Francisco, Shanahan has a pretty good track record working with semi-mobile quarterbacks. Uh, think about – Well, look at Matt Ryan he? in Atlanta. He made him – Who hasn't won the Super Bowl yet. But when Shanahan was there, he had an unbelievable year. Um, they had another quarterback that Shannon coached that had an unbelievable year under his tutelage. Oh, I remember it was Schwab in down Atlanta too. So he doesn't need – Shannon doesn't need a guy that's going to be making it up on the fly. He needs a guy who's going to drop back, read the system just like Grappolo did. Grappolo is too tender. He's too much of a glass slipper right now. He's one more hit from being down. So I don't think they want to base their whole season on him. But well, I, I keep hearing Shanahan's this quarterback whisper, and I really haven't seen that he's done it. I mean, running backs, they've had running backs. So you think Garoppolo and, was a fully finished product when he came from New England? I, I think if you couldn't learn under Tom Terrific, you're not going to learn from any other quarterback. I think he was – yeah, he started four games. I think he was – I don't think you can take a lot of credit. Shanahan can that finished product. I mean, you look at what Shanahan's done. You look at uh, what was the guys, uh, Alfred Morris at Washington when he was the offensive coordinator there. You look at the running backs they've had at Frisco. I think they're great. I mean, he runs a lot of the running offense that his dad did at Denver, and they had great success with running backs. I think they do. He does a better job with running backs than quarterbacks. So which I mean, I don't, which teams can be better this year, San Francisco or the Packers? Because it's so hard to have back to back great years. Uh, you're one hit on number 12 from the Packers having a losing season. But he hasn't been majorly hurt ever. He had a broke shoulder two years ago. He came back during the season. That's when Kaiser was quarterbacking for him. Oh, how soon I forget. Yeah, I mean... You know, we kind of overrate these top five. I mean, again, Mahomes. They're saying was, the top four draft picks are going to be quarterbacks this year because people are willing to take the chance and fail because quarterbacks are so important. Okay, Mahomes was a 20th pick. <laughs> and who won the Super Bowl this year? Who's the winning quarterback? You know how much a rarity he is. He's just so well, rare, Brady. Six-round draft pick. You look at the, the quarterbacks that are successful. Gee, I thought not... we could do a podcast without Brady. I was wrong. Sorry, folks. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, saying... no. I brought up quarterbacks, so it's fair game. But we run out of time, so we need to get to the one sport that's about to really launch and has had spring training already, and that is baseball. Um, baseball. I have two gloves in my car right now with a baseball ready to go out at lunchtime and throw the baseball with some of my buddies at work just to feel like we're outside and it's springtime again. I mean, there's a sense of baseball that gives you like, this is spring. It's finally spring. Field of dreams, a catch with your dad. Oh, okay. so, so good. So good. Um, so, Ernest, when's the last time you threw catch with your boys? With my, my adult sons? Yeah, your uh, adult sons. Probably when my youngest was playing high school baseball. I have thrown with my grandsons, though. Well, throw nice. more football with them, but I throw with my uh, uh, my grandchildren. I do throw baseball with them. Yeah. Did you catch so, for your son who was a pitcher? Uh, until he started hurting my hand. Zip. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have I didn't have I, I actually picked up a chest protector. I didn't have the the, the shin guards, but uh, he could he could crank it up pretty fast, and he had a he had a wicked slider that. I had a hard time. I couldn't hit a slider. Couldn't catch a slider either. If, if you can't catch a, you a needed a cup ball, to catch him, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at that point, you know, <laughs> did I really need a cup at that point? But if uh, it still yeah, hurts, I mean, you still need a cup. There's something just fundamentally good about throwing. I mean, we. I wish I could throw with my dad, and I know you're in the same situation. There's just fond memories. My dad gave me my glove. I'm sure your dad did. It's just just a rite of childhood that you get it from your father and you pass it on to your children. And now I do my grandchildren also. Yeah, it's so much uh, fun to throw. But I threw the ball with my son about three, two or three weeks ago. Um, I was visiting him and I said, "Hey, before I leave, let's go in the backyard and just throw." 
And um, my arm is nowhere where it used to be, but his arm is still pretty good. Um, my so- my two year old grandson is already hitting off a tee. Nice. Now remember, his mother was an all conference uh, Division two softball player, so I don't have to worry about that. They're they're going to get him ready. They're going to get him ready, and you're going to be there watching, man. Yes, yes. So baseball hey, for real is starting, and even though there's some crazy rules. There's some interesting cuts at the Tiger level. Hinch is already pulling some interesting strings of saying, hey, I'm not about you were here last year. I'm about who's the best player on my team, which us Tiger fans are rejoicing. On the other end of the spectrum, you have your Atlanta Braves, who are looking pretty darn good, Ernest. Sports Illustrated has us picked to take it all. But now I want to, you know, you know, uh, Epstein is doing this experimental um uh, sport control position for major league baseball and he's introduced some new rules for minor league baseball are you familiar with these yes i am uh, what do you think of it I mean, in well this is my baseball, time to plug the other podcasts you can okay, always listen ahead, to boys of summer which is another podcast that i do with gene gums from uh, sportscountry.net and eric braun who's been in sports and media for many years and now working for farm progress of all people right now um, so he's talking about cowhide of a different kind with his job now. Anyway, but the rules are a little crazy. It's like they're trying out these rules on minor league teams to see how they'll work. And um, some of them are okay. Some are not. Uh, a timer on pitchers is one of them, but they're at different levels. There's some rules for single A, some rules for double A, and some rules for triple A. Which one of the rules do you think is the craziest, Ernest? The craziest is the AAA. It's the larger bases. You know how they always say, just throw a guy out barely? Now he'll have that uh, like 10 centimeters bigger base where he'll be safe instead of out. I know the rule you're going to like is the one in, in I think, lower mm-hmm. single A where all the infielders have to have their feet in the dirt. Yes. They cannot be on the grass. I am so tired of the shift. And at least this is not getting rid of the shift altogether, but the gets rid of the softball shift where you have a short outfielder right in the gap so that somebody can't hit a line drive in the hole it goes right to the guy in the major leagues but in this way they got at least be in the dirt which is i think a step in the right direction and you notice during spring training they limited games to seven innings which may be a precursor to the future you know in in japan games are limited to two and a half hours and they're professional league. So after two and a half hours, no matter who is at bat, whether it's the visitor batting and they're behind or ahead or whatever the game ends. And if it's a tie, it's a tie. Well, if because they're going to the do that, then they need to do something about the batters and the pitchers rubbing themselves all over the place and changing every Velcro strip in you, the world. You want to rephrase that rubbing themselves and <laughs> say cleaning the uh, See, yeah, but I've heard this every year. I mean, this for 30 years I've heard we're going to 30-second clock, which there is a 30-second clock on every pitch to be delivered, but it's not enforced. Uh, you can't leave the box a batter can after they step in, but we see them step out all the time. We, we, you know, we could have radio technology. Managers and pitching coaches don't have to go to the mound and waste two minutes. Well, single leg, they're going to have the umpire be electronic umpire for balls and strikes. Well, they did that with the Atlantic League last year and had no problems. You know, they want to speed up the game because games are now averaging three and a half hours. And the appeal of, of like for soccer, you know, soccer games usually are two hours tops because you have the constant action and constant moving. But, you know, they're not going to cut the period of time between innings because that's when they have commercials, unless they start putting commercials on during live action like you have in soccer. But they got to speed up the game. And the tools are there. You just got to get umpires to do it. The unfortunate part is – any major change is going to be a negotiation tool. This is the last year of the agreement between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. So any drastic changes you're going to see is going to be used as a negotiating tool by the Players Association. Ooh, I forgot something important in the NFL and we run out of time. They're going to 17 games, Ernest. Good, bad, or ugly? Well, if they throw in two more bye weeks, I think it'll work out. 
But if they don't throw any or one bye week or none at all, you're going to have problems. You are getting rid of one of the exhibition games. So you're going to have three exhibition games. This is this is the desire for filthy lucre. That's all this is. That means they money, lost, folks. Yes. They lost money because no one was in the stands or very few people in the stands this past year. This is a chance, grab for revenue. And supposedly the 17th game will be in different locations. Some international games, which I don't see this year with COVID, they're going to play the games in the continental United States. But, you know, if you put in the bye weeks, then you're going to wind up with Super Bowl on Valentine's Day. Uh, it's going to push the season back two weeks. Well, ladies love football also, Paul. <laughs> All right. I know you love your final t- couple minutes. So here you go, Ernest, your final good Real minutes. Real short. Unfortunately, I keep it short. Unfortunately, it seems like of late I've been doing uh, obituaries. Well, here we go again. Howard Schellenberger uh, passed away today. Howard, Howard Schellenberger not only was a former Baltimore Colts coach, but was an assistant under Don Shula, Bear Bryant, and uh, he made Miami football what it was. Before he was the head coach at Miami, it was a mediocre program. It was an independent team. wasn't even in a conference. He made the U what it is. He designed the the little U design on the helmet. He changed the colors to orange and green. He brought the swagger that was carried on by others like Jimmy Johnson. But he created a football dynasty. So sadly, it's not been a dynasty the last 20 years. But uh, not only did he create that, but he revived Louisville football because before he went to Louisville, all they had was Johnny Unitas. They weren't a consistent program. Brought them from the Big East to eventually where they came to the ACC and resurrected a brand new program at Florida Atlantic University. So he's, for some reason that I don't understand, he's not in the College Football Hall of Fame. Why he's not there? Won a national championship against Nebraska in 1983, one of the most thrilling Orange Bowl games of all time. So. Folks down in Atlanta, the College Football Hall of Fame, do the right thing and bring in Howard Schnellenberger. He's a Hall of Famer. I totally agree with that. I was in Louisville when he came to Louisville and resurrected that program. Amazing, uh, just motivator. Tough guy, you know, like you you expect him to be a steel worker or something, you know, so old school. Um, But he knew how to relate to players and get them to play their best, and that's a sign of a great coach. I'm surprised he's not in the college football hall of fame all right ernest that's it for this podcast for ernest watts and paul arnold we thank you for listening you can contact me at gobluearnold at gmail.com listen to us at sportscountry.net and have a great night